Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, <clears throat> Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. As always, a pleasure to be here. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval, and welcome to the clinic where we always talk about our spiritual lives, our physical lives, and our mental lives, because that's how we're built, folks. We are all one and the same. We are mind, body, spirit, and that's how God made us. And one thing does not exclude the other from working. But before we get started on today's show, let's go ahead and start the noon hour here with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, folks. Well, today's show is an interesting one. I've been getting a lot of questions, a lot of emails, uh, pretty much just asking me, well, I know I always get questions about mental health and about physical health at times. Um, but the real question is, how do I know if I need therapy? You know, when I get asked questions about mental health, gosh, Dr. Sandoval, I'm going through a depression. I'm going through an anxiety. My son, he's been doing drugs and now he's getting psychotic. Don't know what to do about him. <clears throat> um, lots of these questions are, are big, heavy hitters. But then all of a sudden you get a question like, how do I know if I need therapy? I think a lot of times we're really good at, at saying, gosh, you know, my, my loved one, they're really not doing well and they need therapy. And I need to get them help because it's stressing me out and I know that they're not in a good place. But at what point? Do their problems affect me? And at what point uh, am I in, in a place where I need to help myself? Well, we're actually going to talk about both of those things today. We're going to look at how do I know when I need therapy? But the first thing that usually comes up is we're very good at looking at when other people need therapy. And so we're going to talk about that first and say, how do I know if a loved one needs therapy? How do I know if they need to go see a psychologist, a psychiatrist? What's the difference? What does that mean? Because they're actually two very different things. Um, how do I know that this isn't just a medical issue that might be manifesting as a psychiatric one? These are important questions to ask ourselves. Well, Usually what will happen is this. I'll get an email that says something like, Dear Dr. Sandoval, I'm, I'm I, we'll just pretend my son's not doing well. He's been doing drugs. He knows that there shouldn't be any drugs in the house. And he does them anyway. And we told him that if he uh, continues to do this, we're going to 
you know, kick him out of the house. But at the same time, I'm worried about him because he stays in his room all day and then he doesn't talk about anything. And then he comes out, you know, he's playing video games and some of these video games are kind of violent. And then when he comes out of his room, he talks about really weird things like he's talking about the government uh, coming after him or being watched or followed. What do I do with that? I don't even know. I mean, I can, it's very obvious that he needs some kind of therapy. And this is true. You know, if you have a loved one who might need help, sometimes it's very hard to get them that help. But how do I know that they need help? Well, let's look back at a few things. One of the things I would say is it's going to end up being the same questions we're going to ask ourselves. It's just very hard to ask ourselves these questions. I've got a few different articles that I looked at because it's an interesting question for me. It's very gestalt. You know, I, I see somebody, and I think, gosh, you really do need um, some help there or something's going on in your life. Therapy might help. But sometimes it's good to see, well, what do my listeners look at on the Internet? What information are they getting? So this was an interesting part article and it was just titled. How do I know if I need therapy? And it was from the American Psychiatric Association. I'll put the link on the talk. Um, and it asked a few questions that I thought were interesting to consider. One of them was, do you know someone who is spending a lot of time every week thinking about the same problem? This is actually very true. So we all have problems in life. We all go through different things. But is my loved one always thinking about the same problem? Are they perseverating on just one thing and they can't get away from it? Now, this happens normally, you know, if people don't enjoy their job and that's the job they're going to every day. Okay, that can be annoying because they're going to come back home and they're going to talk about how bad the job was that day, how they didn't get along with a coworker, how they don't like the boss, whatever it is that is burning them or how much there's just too much work, it can't get done. Different things are going to happen in our workplace that are going to really be a burden on us. The real question here is, is this person able to think of anything else? It's very normal, very common to come home and say, gosh, I'm really burdened by all these things. But at the same time, can I enjoy something different? Am I able to, you know, feel bad for about 20 minutes and unwind after I come back from work? I just need a minute to relax and shake it off, maybe change my clothes if I have to or whatever it is I need to do, and then move on to a different topic. Am I able to say, gosh, that's a great movie. Maybe we should go see that or let's go out. Let's go grab some ice cream or something with the family. Whatever it is, am I able to make that transition or am I always stuck in just that one feeling? If our loved one is always just repetitive, stuck in one feeling, one emotion, um, that can be challenging because then the question is, how much of a burden is it? The next question on this was, is the problem embarrassing to the point that you want to hide it from others? That's a good question, too. Obviously, very person dependent. Does my loved one have a problem that they feel very, very embarrassed about that they don't want to talk to anybody else about? Now, we've got to gauge that. There are some people who truly have something that they find embarrassing because society might not be, you know, happy with what's going on, or they might not be very forgiving with what's going on, depending on where we are. You know, hopefully we like to think that we live in a society where we accept everybody, where everybody is uh, helping each other and open-minded with each other and understanding and forgiving of each other. Unfortunately, folks, if anybody's ever been on the internet or social media, which I'm not on social media because of this very reason, um, it can be a very negative place. You know, it can be a place where people aren't very kind to each other, where people don't get to the, don't take the time to get to know each other. And that can be very, very challenging. Um, one of the questions is, is this something that is truly embarrassing or is it something that's really not that big a deal? 
that is not embarrassing at all, but the person keeps saying, oh, I'm so embarrassed by it. I'm so embarrassed by it. I can't go out. It's very, you know, it's overwhelming. I knew a patient one time who he was really worried about hair loss. Now he was in his twenties and, you know, as males, we get hair loss, obviously it's genetic and it's normal and it's to be expected. Um, and some guys handle it better than others. You know, some guys just can't handle it and they go get hair plugs or whatever it is they need to do to feel better about themselves because they find it very embarrassing. Other guys, not so much, you know, depends how it goes. But the question is this, this particular patient, he was so embarrassed, he would not leave his house without having a hat on. In fact, all his jobs, he would not go to a job where they did not have a uniform that required a hat. And he could not take this hat off, hat off at all in front of anybody. Well, you're thinking, wow, he really kind of got around it, right? So he he was kind of smart. He was looking at these jobs. He had a he was like a delivery guy, a carrier, things like that, where they needed to wear hats, and that's wonderful. And that's good for the workplace. But does it stop there? One of the challenges for him was I said, Okay, well, when you're not at work, what do you do? And he says, I just stay home. He had no social life. He was worried about ever going anywhere where he didn't need to wear a hat, or he liked to go to baseball games. That was a no-brainer, right? He could do that. But he couldn't, and he desperately, desperately wanted to be in a relationship. He thought, gosh, I think it'd be great to get married and have kids. But this really became an obsession for him, and it was keeping him from living a good life. Do we know somebody like that? Do we know somebody who's so fixated on something? Is one of our family members so uh, obsessed with one thought that might not be truly, truly embarrassing to the rest of society, but for them, it's such a big deal to the point where they are not moving forward with their life? That's actually a very good question because it can be very subtle. Sometimes we say, oh, people have quirks, right? But how much of a quirk is this? A quirk shouldn't prevent me from moving forward or from actually forming solid relationships. That's how we're built as people. We're social creatures. If I can't form a solid relationship with someone else, that could be a problem. That could be deleterious to my future, to my well-being, because all of a sudden we become very, very isolative. So that's a, that's a good question to ask. The next question was important. Over the past few months, has the problem reduced your quality of life? And that's what we're talking about, right? The quality of life portion of it is, well, that's great that I go to work. It's great that I go to ball games, but if I'm happy just doing that and that's how I want to live the rest of my life, that's great. But do I find that I am missing out on something very normal, having friends, maybe going dating, having a relationship, getting married, uh, as God has called some of us to do in a vocation? Uh, am I keeping myself from doing that? And I want to do that. Then it becomes a real question. Then it becomes a real, a real problem. Um, it's easy to see that in other people, how do we see that in ourselves? Here's another big question. Does the problem take up considerable time? Just like <clears throat> we said with the last uh, example, this was something that was all day, every day, no questions asked, took up all the time. Um, it was always on the mind. Yeah, the person could go to work, but if the, we use the initial example that I use where one of the family members said, my son's always in his room all day doing drugs and playing video games and having these thoughts those situations are, are much more dire and much more severe because if, we, if we're going to compare the two, one of them, the, the person's at least functioning. They're getting out of the house, they're going to work, they have a job, they can survive on their own. It's a lot scarier if we look at a situation with a family member and we ask ourselves, can they survive on their own? If we were not here, how would they survive? For this person whose son was doing drugs, he wasn't going to be able to survive on his own. Now, why do I say that? He had enough wits about them to have friends, or we can say acquaintances or people who he knew he had to get in contact with to get his drugs. 
But that was the extent of the relationship. You didn't form actual relationships. It's like saying, I need to go to the store to get food and that's it. If somebody continues down the road of doing drugs and staying in the room, well, sometimes it can be severe consequences. We're gonna look at that and we're gonna talk more about how do I know if I need therapy when we come back from the break. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today, we are having an interesting topic of conversation. And the real question we're asking is, how do I know I need therapy? We're talking first about how do I know if a loved one needs therapy? Because that's a little bit easier to, to kind of decipher there. You know, we live with our, with our family members. We, if we know our friends well enough, we know how they think. And it's easier, I say easier, not always easy, to kind of decide that somebody else needs therapy, that somebody else is not doing well because they're down, they're not feeling good, they are um, not acting like themselves, and it's a lot easier to see when that change happens in other people. Before the break, we were talking about what if somebody has a quirk or something that's really bo bothering them to the point where it's an obsession, but they can still function and they're able to go about their lives. It's just they're not going to have as fulfilled a life as they wanted. That's one thing. You know, could they use some therapy? I use the example of one of the patients I had who would not leave the house without a hat. All his jobs required wearing a hat. and He did not socialize much other than going to baseball games was the big thing that he went out with. Or he would not go to any place that could not that where he could not wear a hat, you know, a baseball hat, any kind of hat, a beanie, take your pick. So that was very limiting to him because eventually you're going to go out if you're going to want a date, which he wanted to, but he didn't know how to get there. You're going to want to go out to dinner. You want to go out somewhere in public where a hat's not going to be appropriate, right? So he was limiting limiting himself, but he had enough insight to know that he was doing this and he was moving towards changing that. What if we have a family member, I use a second example, of a mom who had a son who ju was just in his room. He was in his uh, late teens, early 20s, uh, and he was just in his room. He was smoking marijuana all day. I don't know that he was using any other drugs, to be honest with you. I just know that for sure he was smoking marijuana. He was playing video games, but when he was coming out of the room, he was saying some really interesting things, some paranoid type uh, thoughts where he felt that the government was after him. People were watching him, probably listening to him, and I let him know you know, or I'll let the mom know, that sounds a little bit more serious. I don't know that he's going to be able to survive on his own down the road. Like I said before the break, he had, he knew enough people to socialize with, not as friends because he wasn't leaving the house, but strictly as acquaintances who would get him drugs. I always say those, those friendships, those acquaintances, those connections are a little bit dangerous because they are forged in drugs and money, and it can be kind of ugly after a while if you're not doing the right thing. The other question is, where was this guy getting his money? Where was he? he didn't have a job. He wasn't leaving the room. The mom was still giving him an allowance. And so it can be really hard sometimes to say, where do I set the limits with my family member? Because I don't want to see them deteriorate. He didn't have a job. He's not going to survive on his own down the road. Where is he going to get his, his money from? Well, Drugs can be very powerful. And like I said, as far as I knew, he was only using marijuana. So good luck if he starts using anything harder. What's he going to do? Go out on the streets. It's amazing what people do to find money for, the, for their next hit, for their next uh, uh, drug, uh, to survive that drug habit, for their next uh, uh, hit of drugs, uh, amount of drugs. People will start to get into some really dark things. And that's going to be really, really challenging. What do I say in these circumstances? One of the most challenging things for family members in these circumstances is that if 
their loved one doesn't want to get help, there's not much we can do. Autonomy is a big deal in this world, and especially in the laws as they are, at least here in California, you can't force treatment on somebody. It just doesn't work that way. You can't make somebody go to the doctor. You can't make somebody take medication unless you get to a point of safety. And by safety, I mean, is there any danger to others? Is there any danger to self? Is anything like that going on? Then, of course, you can call the authorities. They can come in and they can take them to the hospital on what we call a hold, which means that the person doesn't have much of a say now because we want to make sure that they're safe question of safety now we start getting the wheels turning in a different direction however if there's no issue of safety if the person's just having paranoid delusions or ideas or even hearing voices and they're not violent and they're not saying that they're going to hurt themselves there's not much we can do we can try to talk to the person listen to the person try to convince them to get help but that's a pretty extreme circumstance let's look at a little bit of a milder circumstance let's say that we have a friend who is just kind of down in the dumps and just hasn't been themselves lately, uh, really doesn't have any quirks, normally socializes and normally goes out and, and likes to, you know, hang around their friends or their family members. But all of a sudden is a little bit more isolative. A little, all of a sudden doesn't want to go out anymore. Is going to work, maybe barely functioning. Maybe he's taking a few sick days because they say, I just didn't, couldn't function. I kind of wanted to stay in bed all day. It's okay. We got to look at how long has this been going on for? A couple of days, I'll give you that especially after something like a breakup or the loss of a loved one or something along those lines. I'll give you that. But if it's going over two weeks, now we're asking ourselves, is this major depressive disorder? You know, is this an anxiety type situation where we can't see other people? That's a, those are important questions to ask because then maybe we can sit down with our friend and ask them, hey, is something going on? Do you feel like you're functioning okay? I think maybe you need to talk to somebody. You're not being yourself. That can be a very delicate conversation to have because if somebody is experiencing any kind of depression or anxiety, saying something to them along those lines, the depression and the anxiety might make it so that they respond in a way of saying, you're saying you don't like me. You're saying I'm bad. You're saying I'm no good. And as a friend, you're trying to say, no, I'm actually saying quite the opposite. I'm saying I like you a whole lot. I'm saying that we used to hang out more. I'm saying you used to have more enjoyment of life and it doesn't seem like that's there anymore for you you know it's easy to see that so uh in others when we say gosh we used to go out all the time and now it seems like you know you're not joking like you used to you don't seem happy something seems down and i'm worried about you i really do like you actually and i'm hoping you can do that now the person might be very sensitive depression and anxiety will do that and the person will take everything as a negative or an attack and that's hard to live with that's hard to do so unfortunately the person might have a self-fulfilling prophecy where people don't want to hang out with them anymore because they say every time i tell them something they just take it the wrong way it's so heavy they just they're off i just can't be around that because it's bringing me down so it's something to consider it's something to look at for our friends and have a delicate conversation a supportive conversation be it friends or family, if we see that they're in that position. Now, the question of the day, how do I know if I need therapy? Because all of a sudden the tables turn. And what if it's me receiving that conversation from a friend and somebody's telling me, you don't seem to be acting like yourself. I think you need to do a little bit more self-care. I think you need to um, get out a little bit more. I think you need to, so you seem down and out in the dumps. What if somebody were to tell you that? How, how are you going to take it? Are you going to say, gosh, is that something I should listen to? Or I'm fine. It's just, just not feeling good. I don't need this right now. Look, I just need to get through this week and I'll be fine. Or, you know, one of the questions I would have is how many weeks have I been saying that to myself? I just need to get through this week. Now I just need to get through this week. It becomes a habit. And at what point do we take a look back and say, you know, it's been about six months and I haven't been feeling like myself. 
It's a good question to ask ourselves. It's a difficult question to ask ourselves. One, because in society, we see feeling down, getting depressed, feeling anxious, or not functioning well as a sign of weakness sometimes. That's one of the stigma that comes with it. There's something wrong with me. It doesn't mean it's not like a medical illness where we say, oh my gosh, I got a big cut on my leg and there's a wound there and I think it's getting infected. I can easily say there's something wrong with my leg. I don't associate that with myself as a person. There's something wrong with my leg and I'm going to go get that infection taken care of. And that's okay. And in fact, I can show it to my friends and they're like, whoa, that looks really bad. Get to a doctor, get cleaned up because we know what it looks like when it looks good. However, it doesn't affect our emotions. It doesn't affect our sense of who we are as a person. One of the most challenging things and one of the things that I find very enjoyable about mental health is it, we really start asking ourselves a question of who am I as a person, which in reality is separate from having depression or anxiety. To me, somebody who has depression or anxiety is no different than having a wound that just needs some medication for the infection, get that cleaned up and get you back to really asking who am I as a person? Because then we're really asking the philosophical question of who does God want me to be? What's my mission here in life? I need to be able to separate that from I'm feeling kind of depressed. If I'm feeling depressed or anxious, that's going to be an illness that's keeping me from being who I am as a person. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean that uh, anything, you know, I get to decide that based on how I on how I live my life, but not based on depression or anxiety. There's been plenty of saints. If anybody knows St. Catherine of Bologna, she suffered through depression a lot. In fact, she was in a lot of deliverance. She was fighting the devil all the time, but she herself wrote a book on how she herself suffered from depression on her way to sainthood. You know, it's, it doesn't preclude us from being who we are as a person. So one of the biggest challenges is ask, asking ourselves honestly, am I going through a depression? Am I going through an anxiety? And being able to not see that as a sign of weakness, but as a sign of, wow, that's what's happening in my brain right now. Not who, I'm, who I am as a person. Maybe I do need help. Am I open to that question? I think that's one of the hardest questions, uh, one of the hardest situations we have to be in because we really have to ask ourselves, is this a friend of mine? Is this somebody who wants what's best for me? How do I know that they don't want something for themselves? And are they being honest with me? It's gotta be someone I trust who is telling me this. But there's a different article here I was looking at and I was asking really good questions because the other questions we were asking, it's easy to see in other people. These are the questions I have to ask myself. Is this what's going on inside of me? Okay, one of the questions was, am I having, are you having difficulty regulating your emotions? I'm going to use the you because I want us to really internalize this. <clears throat> are you having difficulty regulating your emotions? I'm always upset. I'm always sad. People tell me things and I take it the wrong way. I get frustrated very easily. Is that happening to me? I don't know. That's a good question to ask. Um, am I not acting like myself? Am I not being myself? Um, when something comes up, do I find myself wanting to feel differently, but not knowing how? That's a good question to ask because we don't always ask ourselves that. We're always thinking, oh, I'm gonna, it's fine. I'm going to get better. I'm going to feel better. Um, and sometimes it doesn't happen that way. What about you aren't performing effectively at work or at school? That's a really good question to ask too. Gosh, normally I can get these reports done. No problem. Lately, I just have not wanted to be able to do them. And they're there and they're very easy, but I can't get to doing them. I don't know why something's keeping me from just doing my job. And that can be very frustrating for a lot of people. It can be hard to, to live with or to deal with. What about you're experiencing changes or disruption in sleep or appetite? This happens a lot. Now, <clears throat> when it comes to being off or, or maybe needing therapy, uh, am I depressed? Am I anxious? Am I just going through a rut? One of the first signs is a lack of sleep or not being able to sleep. And that can show up as 
not being able to fall asleep. It can show up as waking up in the middle of the night. It can show up as waking very early in the morning and not being able to get to sleep. But then all of a sudden, when I got to get up and say I wake up at four o'clock, five o'clock, I'm like, oh, man, I don't need to get up till 630 or seven or whatever your your normal time is to sleep. But you're just waking up earlier. OK, well, I'm going to try to go back to sleep, but I can't. Then all of a sudden at 6.30 or 7 when I need to get up, and now is when I'm feeling sleepy. That's very classic. It's a very classic sign of depression or that something's going on, you know. And a lot of times people come to me and say, Doc, I just need a good sleep medication. If I could just sleep, I'll feel fine. And that's a great idea. Uh, we always say, I'm going to sleep on it, or if I'm going to get a good night's sleep, that'll change everything. At the same time, we have to ask ourselves, you know, is this really the sleep? Because for the most part, if you're not sleeping well, unless you have a baby in the house who's waking up in the middle of the night or something's interrupting your sleep and you really want to sleep, and if that weren't there, but you could sleep well. If there's something else there where, actually nothing else, where I just can't sleep, then it's a good time to ask ourselves, what is it that's going on? Because a lot of times when people come to me and say, can you give me a sleep medication so I can sleep well? I have to ask, well, what's going on in your life? Why do you feel you're not sleeping well? And patients can get frustrated. They can say, look, I don't have depression or anxiety. And I tell them, actually, you do. If we take care of that, you'd be sleeping a lot better. But sometimes patients don't want to hear that. They don't like the idea that uh, there could be something else. We want to hear that. Gosh, a quick, quick good night's sleep, and we're going to do really well. Not always the case. Something to ask ourselves. Um, also changes in appetite. I'm eating more. I'm eating less. Not hungry at all. Normally, I like to eat, but I just haven't been hungry. I've lost a lot of weight really quickly without trying. That's a good sign that something could be going on. Or the opposite is true. I can't help it. And I keep finding myself wanting to eat sweets and I never feel full. That can be a very, very big challenge for people if they're not feeling well. More on these thoughts and questions after the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Burger Mouse Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. Today, we're talking about a very interesting topic. And before the break, we were talking about how do you know if you need to go to therapy? Not an easy question to ask ourselves. How do I know if I need to go to therapy? People might be thinking, well, Dr. Sandoval, you're a doctor. How? You're a psychiatrist. Believe it or not, psychiatrists need their therapists too. So even psychiatrists get sick. Even psychiatrists, any doctor is not precluded from illness. And a really good psychiatrist might get mental illness. Why would I say that? Because when we focus on each other, when we take on people's burdens, if we don't know how to limit that, it can be very, very hard. I've dealt with a lot of patients who have gotten depressed themselves, just helping to deal with other people and their lives, whether it be family members or friends, who suffer from depression. So all of a sudden, they're sitting there and they're listening to their friends. They think they're being supportive and they themselves start getting depressed. And that can be a very, very challenging place to be because you think, boy, I'm helping people out. I'm doing well. But if you're not ready to take care of yourself first, you could suffer from what we call caregiver burnout. It can be very, very slow and it can, it's, hard to see coming sometimes because we think we're doing good. So we feel good about ourselves when we're helping other people, but sometimes it can be too much. I've had colleagues who get burned out because they're listening to their patients, they're in therapy, they're listening to their depressions, their anxieties, and they, sometimes they take them on. That can be easy to do. So 
Sometimes that can happen to people. And let's look at the next question on this list. You're struggling to build and maintain relationships. Well, the question is why at this point? Is it because once you're talking to people now, either their burdens are too much for you to handle, um, which can happen, or is it that, you know, you're trying to build relationships, you're trying to uh, be with somebody uh, as, as a friend, or you want to be in a more intimate relationship, you're thinking, gosh, I think I think God's calling me to get married. I think that uh, that's my vocation in life, but I don't know how to forge this relationship. That can be really hard, and the question is why. Is it because I'm feeling awkward, because I'm not good at having friendships? That can happen sometimes. Or is it because every time I talk to people, they seem to be I seem to be off-putting. I think I'm, I'm off-putting to people. That's a good question to ask ourselves because if somebody is depressed, think about it. If you yourself are around somebody who's depressed, that can be hard, right? This is why I say as therapists, psychiatrists, we took on that job, we took on that role, but we got to have our limits. We got to know where to put a stop to it. Not that we don't care, but we also got to know how to separate ourselves from it and realize that we're helping other people. The question I have to ask myself though is, Am I the off-putting person? Am I am I overwhelming other people with my burdens because I'm not handling them handling them well? Um, that can be hard. It can be a difficult question to ask. It can be hard for for us to look at that because all of a sudden it reinforces that I'm not a good person, or it tells me that um, you know, gosh, I'm I'm not a likable person, or I'm not somebody who other people want to be around. That can be hard to accept, but there is hope. There is hope in this, and there's a, uh, the idea of going to therapy is that if I can relieve myself of that burden, more than likely, you know, I can start building those relationships again. Here's a really good question. Have you experienced trauma in your life? All different kinds of trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, sexual trauma. There's all different things. Um, and one of the challenges with that is some people experience trauma and move on. And what I mean by move on is, not that the trauma doesn't affect them, but the question is, are they able to have a job? Are they able to um, have a family? Are they able to do what they need to do and achieve their goals and not have this trauma define them? That's the real question of the day because a lot of times people who have experienced trauma focus on this and that becomes their whole life. All they think about is the trauma that happened and Rightfully so. Some people experience post-traumatic stress disorder. You can look at, you know, soldiers who have gone to war. If somebody experienced, unfortunately, physical trauma or sexual trauma growing up, that can come to define them. And that can easily make it so that that's all they focus on. They have no other outlet in life. They don't think of anything else. And that's their whole life right there is this trauma. And in fact, it can be very hard for anybody to form friendships with them. The hardest part is asking ourselves, did something traumatize me to the point where I can't function without thinking about that? And that's the only thing that defines me. Everything I do is out of fear. And all day long, usually every day, that's all I think about is what happened to me. I don't really have an outlet. I don't really focus on anything else. That can be really, really hard. That could be the time where somebody can go, if you're feeling that way, I would say, if I were ever feeling that way, I would say, go talk to somebody. The worst thing that can happen is you show up, you talk to the therapist and you either find out that, yeah, gosh, maybe you do need help and maybe we, you should keep coming and we can process this and walk through it. Or as you talk about it with somebody who really has no invested interest other than to help you, you start to realize, hey, you know, 
maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe it wasn't as intense as I thought it was going to be. Maybe it's not something that should define me overall. And it's a question that only you can answer yourself, but it's really hard sometimes because if we talk to family members, um, they won't be able to uh, really see ourselves from a third party perspective. They will always see things as a family member. They will always tell you that things aren't that big a deal, or sometimes they might tell you to get over it. You'd have to talk to a family member who really is good at listening to you, really is good at knowing you from and being able to step away from that relationship. That's really hard to do. That's the bonus of having a therapist or a psychiatrist. Because when you have a therapist or psychiatrist, they don't have any invested interest in your life other than to help you out. All they do is listen and they're going to say, maybe you should do this or that, but they're not going to tell you, oh, you know, I think I really know you so well as a person that this is how you are. Or that's how you are. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen that way in therapy. Um, let's say you no longer enjoy activities you typically did. Uh, that's another great question. Is this true for you? where this is what you're experiencing, you're not enjoying activities. One of the challenges is at what point, because sometimes we tell ourselves, you know what, I'm going to get there. I'm going to do something I enjoy and I'm going to be just fine. And I'm going to um, get to that enjoyment period again. Uh, I used to go out with my friends and I don't now, but it's because I'm so busy. Or I used to um, go to movies, but I don't know. Um, but that's because of this or that. Well, what if we do get an opportunity to do it? What if we do have a chance to go out or go hang out with our friends or go to a coffee shop or enjoy a pastry or whatever it is that used to really bring enjoyment into our lives? If I'm in that situation, do I enjoy it at all? Can I say, gosh, yeah, that was really good. That was a really good apple I ate. Or that was a very good cup of coffee that I just had. Am I able to truly enjoy some of the basic things I used to enjoy all the time? If that's not there anymore, if I'm not finding enjoyment in things that I normally did, then I got to ask myself, what's going on? Because that's really where we find our, that we renew ourselves, that we get our energies back. If I'm at work all day, that's great. But then if I have a hobby when I come home or something, that's usually pretty good. You know, I can come home, I cannot think about things, I can enjoy my hobby, I can read a book, some guys get into model trains or model cars, whatever it is that distracts the mind and allows us to find enjoyment, but are you still experiencing that? Is there anything that you enjoy in life? Or is there, the real question is, is there anything that you stopped enjoying in life? Now, that's not to say that we don't, our tastes vary and change, so we don't have to keep the same hobbies all the time. But is our thought process such that we can find enjoyment, that we can look at things and say, gosh, I'm really going to, uh, I think that that would be really cool. Or I think that this is really interesting. Are my conversations boring, you know, with other people? Do I have nothing else to say? Here's a real one. Can I just sit on the couch all day and not do anything and the day goes by? And before I know it, it's been four hours, but to me, it could have been two minutes. That's a really good sign that now we're not enjoying life. And now we're in a state where, we need to get some help or something because a day is going by and I'm not productive. That's, that's a good time right there that we have to ask ourselves. And like I said before, it, you know, this will happen one day, two days, but is this a constant theme? Has this been going on for a week? Has this been going on for two weeks? Has it been going on for a month? Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. And guess what? It's okay. When you come to me, you come to a therapist, nobody judges you because that's what we work with. We say, yeah, that's what happens in society. People will wonder what's going on and ask you questions, but you come to a therapist, you go to a psychiatrist, your primary care doctor, this is what we work with. And this is what's normal, shall we say, to us in the world of, of what we treat. It's very normal to say, yeah, gosh, that is what you're experiencing. Well, let's help you out. Let's see what you need. What if, here's a really good question. What if you're grieving? Um, you know, 
big things in life can happen. And believe it or not, grief can come in different ways. One of the ways that we grieve, classically, of course, we say the loss of a loved one. I, you know, somebody passed away, I'm grieving, I'm in mourning, uh, this is bereavement, and I'm not feeling good. Absolutely, that's very true. How long is it okay to grieve? Well, it's okay to grieve for as long as you need to grieve. The question is, are you thinking about ending your life? Are you thinking that life is no longer worth living? If you start thinking down that path, maybe it is time to talk to somebody. Maybe it's time to say, maybe I need to get some help. Maybe I need to, to, to do something because life is still worth living for us. We mourn our dead and we're sad that they go, but we are still here and we're still here for each other. Do we still have those human connections? That's one very important question to ask ourselves. But here's an interesting twist on this. There's lots of different things that we grieve and we don't even realize it. Good example is I had a patient who was about to graduate from college. Very happy that we're gonna get their bachelor's degree. They worked hard to get this. They did suffer from depression and anxiety, but it was very well controlled on medication. They were doing extremely well. They were taking a little bit of medication and that was enough to get them out of any rut, any, any kind of depression or anxiety. They got through, they were about to graduate to get their bachelor's degree. And they tell me, doc, I think I wanna stop my medication now. Because all of a sudden we feel like, hey, I'm graduating from college. Maybe I'm graduating from depression. Maybe I'm graduating from anxiety. And my advice was, do not stop your medication. You gotta keep it going because you're gonna to start to grieve a little bit. And they said, what are you talking about? And this is classically what happens. When we get a big accomplishment, if we don't have something lined up down the road, so you graduate from college, do you already have a job lined up or was that degree the big deal? You know, you get the degree and you think this degree is getting my ticket to open uh, my life to the world and get a career, that'd be great. But classically, if somebody doesn't have that job lined up or if or anything after graduation, which this patient didn't, all they were happy about was getting their graduation, getting that diploma. Um, what can happen is you accomplish this goal and then you get this, now what? Now what do I do? And very classically, people can fall into a depression when that happens. It's not the time to change the medication. In fact, I tell them, you've been doing so well on the medication, stay steady on that, keep doing what you're doing, look for a job, once you get settled in a job that you think is pretty stable, now is the time for us to start thinking about maybe changing things. But until then, it's surprising to think that big accomplishments can lead to grief. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about how do you know if you need therapy? How do you know? At the beginning of the show, we talked about, gosh, how do I know if a loved one or a friend needs therapy? It's a little bit easier to see because we can see the changes in other people much more readily than we see the changes in ourselves. And when we start to ask ourselves questions about ourselves, about how we're doing, about our personalities, we start to really get self-conscious, maybe insecure about who am I as a person? What am I doing? Um, am I doing the right things? Mostly because we don't like to look at ourselves. We don't like to look at that side of ourselves. It's kind of like going to confession. Boy, I don't like to do an examination of conscience because then I have to ask myself, where have I not been the best me I could be? At the same time, when it comes to mental illness, I want us to think about this in a different way. Because when we do an examination of conscience, one of the biggest things there when we go to confession is, that was all out of my free will. Whatever sin I have is because I made that choice. When it comes to mental illness, it's a whole different story. But the societal stigma surrounding it 
makes us feel like we sinned, like we did something wrong. Gosh, you're suffering from depression or anxiety. What did I do wrong? There's something wrong with me. And that's not the 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 right way to look at it. It's not the right perspective. You know, if we want to look at mental illness and feel like there's something wrong with me, I want to look at it from the perspective of, boy, I have an illness. I have a, a wound. I have a cut. I have something on my physical body. Well, there's not something wrong with me. I, I, there's something wrong with my body. I'm going to go get help. I'm going to go show this to the doctor. I broke a bone. The bone is not who I am. We need to think of mental illness in that way or mental uh, um, <clears throat> situations or whatever we want to call them because sometimes, we, again, the term mental illness carries so much stigma where we think there's something wrong with me as a person. But I want you to think of it as, wow, my brain's going through a depression. It's not me. It's my brain. Maybe I need something to help my brain out. Maybe my brain's going through an anxiety. It's not me, but it's my brain. I need to move forward uh, and get some help to get rid of that bruise, that cut, whatever, that trauma that we uh, are thinking about. Before the break, we were talking about grieving, and we were talking about how when we do experience grieving, we classically think about the loss of somebody. However, I was giving the example that when we have big accomplishments in our lives, we can easily go through a grieving period, believe it or not. I use the example of a patient I had who had graduated from college, and after they graduated college, they became depressed because I had let them know, don't stop your medication. I worry that you're not going to feel good. Uh, you don't have a job lined up or anything. I think it's great that you're getting your diploma. But once you get your diploma, what what then? What do you have after that? And they didn't really have anything lined up. I was a little bit worried about them because you get this big accomplishment and you get this now what feeling. And that can easily be depressing. It's very common. It's not something that you do wrong. It's just that's what happens to the brain after a big race, shall we say. You've come to the finish line, you finish the race, and now what? If you talk to any runner out there, they're always looking for their next race, right? Because they're constantly training. So what happened to this patient? They went through, they graduated. They, I knew that they had this feeling that I had this feeling that they just weren't going to listen because they were too excited and they wanted their life to be a, this, a new chapter in their life. They were going to have a new job. They were going to not need medication anymore in their mind. And that was going to be it. And they were going to feel so good. It's kind of the same idea as, gosh, if you just give me a good sleeping pill, I'm going to be doing okay. Not really. The degree is not the sleeping pill. It's not going to, you get the degree and it doesn't change who we are as a person. It's just the next stage in our life. Well, unfortunately for this person, they stopped their medication and sure enough, they became depressed. It took about two, three months, but they were looking for jobs. They weren't finding what they thought they could, they wanted, they, the jobs that they did want. Well, they weren't qualified for, they went to someone else, whatever it was, and they fell into a depression because of the next stage of their life. That's not to say they wouldn't have been bummed out, even if they had been on medication, but they went right back on the medication. They felt that support and they got their personality back. And then they were able to find the job, not because the medication found them the job, but I think they had a different perspective. They had a different outlook on what's important to me right now. What am I doing? Um, and really, what's my 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 true gifts, my true value? And then we bring that to the forefront. When we're feeling depressed or anxious, we don't see that. Everything's dark. We, we're not very good about getting ourselves out there. We don't have that confidence of saying hi to somebody, shaking their hand and letting them know, yeah, I'm the right person for the job. Sometimes when we're experiencing depression or anxiety, it kind of hides that. My question is, have you ever been feeling that way? Have you ever been feeling like, gosh, I'm not getting to where I need to get to. I'm not taking care of myself. This whole getting a degree has been so consuming for me or finding a new job has been more consuming for me. That's another classic time to grieve. You find a new job. People are so happy. Yeah, I found this job. But now what? Now you got to settle into this job and you got to figure out what's my next move? What's my next step? What is it I'm supposed to do here? 
it's a difficult question to ask sometimes because we think we got exactly what we wanted. Another classic one, people get married, they think they're going to be so happy and they can actually get depressed because all of a sudden marriage is not what they thought it was going to be. We have this idea of I'm going to get married and this is what's going to happen. Or another one, classically, we treat uh, uh, postpartum depression all the time. Moms have babies. It's supposed to be a, such a joyous time. And at the same time, people wonder, how do people get depressed? Well, you just accomplished this. You're actually grieving a lot of different things. Sometimes if it's your first baby, you're going to be grieving your freedom, right? Now, postpartum depression, that can happen just from the chemical changes, the hormonal changes that people experience after having a baby. But once that's gone, once that's passed, say the child's older, you've, you've gotten over postpartum depression, if you experience that. Let's say you never had a postpartum depression, baby's a little bit older, and you start to realize my life is very different now. I can't do what I used to be able to do. Very common for people to get into depression. Moms and dads. A lot of times it's easy to focus on the mom and say, oh, the mom can have postpartum depression. Well, guess what? The dad's life's changed too. And it's not as easy as they thought or it changed in a way that they didn't think it was going to happen. Big changes in life. We're grieving a new stage in life because we have to leave the old stage behind. Very common to get depressed or anxious at that time. Let's see. Well, here's another. Here's a really good question, actually. You're using substances or sex to cope with how you're feeling. And that can happen. You know, people can, we turn to different things. People will sometimes turn to food. People will turn to drugs, alcohol. People will turn to sex in order to fulfill something, in order to cope because there's an emptiness inside, because they're feeling depressed, they're feeling anxious. They're not feeling, they're not recognizing their value. And I say they, but the question is, are you not recognizing your value? Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you're using other things to cope? Sometimes I know colleagues who will stay at work longer later because they don't want to go home. They don't like their life situation. They, they're not happy with their spouse. They're not happy with their kids. They're not happy with whatever's going on at home. So they'll actually stay at work or go out, be out of the house much longer, find excuses to leave because they just can't be at home. They don't want to be there. And all of a sudden that's their way to cope. You know, sometimes people will do that. They'll gorge on work. They'll gorge on food. They'll gorge on drugs or alcohol. They'll gorge on sex in order to not think, in order to escape from the current situation. If that's happening to you, it's a good time to ask yourself, you know, is this something that I need to get help with? Because I'm not living in the moment. I'm not living the life that I need to live. Um, these are hard questions to ask. You know, it's not easy for us to sit there and say, do I ever need to, to go talk to a therapist? I always say this, when in doubt, go talk to a therapist. It never hurts. The worst thing they can tell you is, no, I don't think you need a therapist. Also, if you go to a therapist and you don't like what they tell you or you did not feel a good connection, find a different therapist. Nobody's going to keep you with one therapist who you feel is not uh, understanding you, listening to you. Uh, there's no sense in doing that. The most important thing at that point is to say, one, if I'm going to go to a therapist, if I'm going to commit to this, then I better understand that I want to find a therapist who I can connect with. If this therapist is talking jargon, different things, does, not understanding who I am, just not taking the time to get to know me as a person, that could be a problem. I would say, you know what, maybe I need a second opinion. I need to talk to another therapist. Sometimes the nice part about talking to a therapist, let's say that we, let's assume that we found a good therapist, is that it's a third party, like I said before. There's no invested interest other than your well-being. It's not going to affect how I live, how I live my life, how I, what I do. It's not going to change 
my life at home as a therapist when I listen to people and talking to family members sometimes can. We have to know the right family member to talk to because we can confide in our family members, but we got to know who to talk to. I don't want to talk to somebody who, if I tell them something intimate, something vulnerable, they're either going to gossip about it or talk to somebody else about it or try to exploit it to use to their advantage. That can happen. I have seen that happen um, in friendships and family relationships, and that can be a little bit tricky. The other thing is sometimes if we have a very good trusted friend who also just has our best interests at heart, who's not going to affect our life, it's really nice to have that. It's nice to have that third party feel. Um, that's important. Once we go to therapy, let's say that we do find a therapist who understands us. It's fair to be honest because everything's confidential. Nothing's going to leave their file. You can say whatever you want. So long as you're not going to hurt somebody, you're not going to hurt yourself. There's nothing to report. Those are moments to report. If there's ever any abuse or danger, um, then yes, uh, we are mandated reporters. So one of the things that we have to um, consider is I'm only going to get as much of out of therapy as I put into it. And if I'm not 100% honest with my therapist, it's kind of like not being 100% honest in confession. Didn't do me any good to hold on to sins because they're still there. I, I want to get rid of them. I want to break all those chains. I want to avoid them. And hopefully, if I can do that, if I can have a good confession, all my sins are gone. When I go to a therapist, I just want to be as honest as possible. Awkward as it may be, we pretty much hurt everything. And this is why I say you got to find a therapist who you're 100% comfortable with because you want to be able to share those intimate details without feeling judged or without feeling scared about being judged. That's really important to consider. Now, once we do that, what can happen? A couple different things. Therapists might say, gosh, you know, you're going through life issues. Sometimes it feels really good to let it all out and just talk about it. You know, I had a lot of patients who say, oh, that felt really good, doc. I don't know if I need to come back. And I say, yeah, I'll come back for one or two more sessions just to wrap it up or make sure you seal the deal. Um, but for the most part, a therapist might say, you really don't need to see a therapist. Maybe a few, a few sessions, talk it out. But other times people find it, they're pleasantly surprised. They go to a therapist and being able to talk to somebody um, and having an honest conversation is very therapeutic. That's how we call a therapist. Back in the day, we used to have friends, neighbors that we used to sit with and just chat with for the day. Um, and that was very important. That was a very important part of our well-being. Our lives are busy nowadays. And nowadays, most people just communicate through the internet or social media or things of that nature. And it's not like it used to be. Most people don't sit there and actually have full conversations with each other, which is pretty sad. Nowadays on the internet, you're not going to get a deep, meaningful conversation that I know of. Usually it's just little blurbs, people talking poorly about each other or people judging each other or people asking, hey, do you like me? Breeds a lot of insecurity and a really a lack of confidence. And it sure doesn't breed a whole lot of friendship. So if you can find a good friend who you can sit with, talk with, be honest with, and they know you inside and out, that's golden. That's that's the therapy that, that most of us need. Um, I would always encourage that. But at the end of the day, here's what it comes down to. <clears throat> if we find that there's a family member who needs help, I think the most important thing is to be empathetic, to be very gentle, to suggest to them in a very loving way that we're worried about them and we want them to be better or feel better because it doesn't seem like they're feeling like they're best. We're not going anywhere. We're still their friend. We're still their family and we're here for them. And that's why we're having this conversation because we want them to be feeling their best. At the same time, a much harder conversation to have is to have that conversation with ourselves or to be open and receptive when somebody has that conversation with us and says, I don't think you're doing so well. I think that you're down in the dumps. I think maybe if you go talk to somebody, you might start to feel a little bit better. Or I have to tell myself, gosh, I have not been doing well. I'm not feeling like myself. I better go talk to somebody. 
I better go and, you know, just get a second opinion, see what they think. Am I where I need to be in life? Is there anything that's keeping me from being my best? And we must never forget, you can go to a therapist, but the ultimate therapist is Jesus Christ. Make sure you pray. Make sure you keep it Catholic. Until next week, we'll see you here at the clinic.